I was on a team uh, uh, well prior to Athos where um, some, one of our junior developers said, hey, is it okay if I give feedback? And I'm like, yeah, it is. Of course it is. But think about the, the perspective of that individual who doesn't know if, if he or she has the social permission to participate in the bettering of the software, you know, or the betterment of the, the team. You got to let people know that they have the power to participate. Sean Tierney is the DevOps lead at Athos, a company that's building better athletes through smart clothing and AI. Sean reinforces a DevOps state of mind across the organization by building empathy between hardware and software teams and putting the systems in place to allow them to move faster as a single unit. Welcome to DevOps State of Mind, a podcast where we dive deep into the DevOps culture and chat with friends from small startups and large enterprises about what DevOps looks like in their organizations. I'm Lise from LogDNA. Join us as we get into a DevOps state of mind. All right. Welcome to the podcast, Sean. So excited to have you. Thank you so much. It's good to be here. So if you could start just by telling us a little bit about yourself and what you've been up to in your career and kind of what led you to your current role at Athos. Cool. Excellent. Um, so I guess career-wise, how I kind of ended up in DevOps would be, um, it, it started as an interest in infrastructure programming. I'd been doing your traditional, you know, web development for forever, it seems, and it just wasn't, I had the idea of being able to scale something, you know, seemingly infinitely, uh, it was just really exciting, kind of drew me in and being able to do these things, you know, program against systems that we didn't used to be able to program against was, was really, really fun. And as I got into it, I, you know, kind of discovered that, um, you know, a major part of the role is driving organizational change. You know, so there's this enormous you know, leadership management uh, element to to what the DevOps culture kind of is, and that uh, that really kind of fascinated me. Frankly, it's it's it surprised me that the need was so great, um, but it it was, you know. Um, and so, I have been doing uh, full time DevOps work for I guess since about 2018, I think. Uh, so a couple years under the belt now. It's been maybe one of the coolest adventures, I think, uh, for me. It's, it's been really, really fun. So uh, I ended up talking to a recruiter. Was It was actually how I got connected with uh, Athos. And for the first time in years, uh, we had an opportunity to, to mix your, your digital effort, your programming effort with, you know, bring it back to the, the real world with the garment and the human data and all of this. So it seemed like a uh, very you know, kind of cool thing to do. So I guess I'm just kind of here now, you know, so it's, it's been really exciting. That was only, I don't know, maybe five or six months ago. Um, but it's been, I don't know, every day is the best day of my life, Lise. I think oh, we can say that. Love it. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> I also love what you said about this being, you know, an adventure. I think that's such a cool way to think about DevOps in general, because it's something that's always changing and growing and you're iterating on whatever you were working on the day before and it looks different everywhere right so every organization <laughs> it's like uh how kind of how every you know every marriage is different right every yeah uh, there's always this human very specific human context that kind of uh you know uh, exists inside of an organization so maybe everybody uses the same tool but i guarantee you that the code is not the same yeah 
you 100%. know, exactly how we do things is not the same. And then on top of that, we're never going to do the same thing twice. So we're constantly iterating and, and improving our ability to deliver yeah. uh, to production. Absolutely. I love that. Okay. So you said a little bit and I kind of gave a teaser in the intro, but can you just tell us what Athos is, the problems that you guys are trying to solve and, you know, for the listeners who don't know what the actual company does? Okay. We are leaders in, in a couple of really fascinating areas. Uh, we have the ability to capture human data, uh, human electrical data from which we can derive uh, meaning. Uh, and we have beautiful garments that are really comfortable considering what they do. Uh, and uh, the hardware inside the garments is also, I call it Apple-esque. I'm a huge fan of the design of the hardware. Uh, it's pretty cool. So from, from all of that, all the garment, all the hardware, we get this data and we can use that data to help humans better understand what's happening in their, their body, like orthopedically specifically, you know, how the muscles are operating, how the muscles are operating in relation to other muscles, how the heart rate's doing. Uh, and we have a whole data science team that can take this raw signal data and really generate some fascinating uh, measurements out of it. And when we bring that to like the, the sports scientists, they can take that data and they can, you know, uh, derive even more meaning from it. So one of our um, very good sweet spots is the ability to take a human over time and determine whether or not that human is setting him or herself up for injury. Right. If you have one side of the body is working harder than the other or one side of the body is not working you know, very well at all, we have these muscle imbalances that our sports scientists understand, you know, the history behind these, uh, like the mechanics. And they can say, you know, you're you're on the path for an injury here. And that really matters uh, to a lot of organizations, to a lot of athletes. Uh, and there's really nothing like it. So we help you know, people get better and to stay healthier, which as someone who's growing older and feeling the effects of time uh, resonates quite well uh, with me. Yeah, absolutely. We will be sure to put a link in the show notes so that everybody can get a visual for what the product looks like. But just to, to go a little bit deeper on what you said, it's basically leggings and compression shirts that you can wear. They have a super sleek hardware component, like you were mentioning, that you just kind of click in to the apparel, and then you just wear them while you're training. So for example, I've worn the leggings before and doing a squat or a deadlift, it'll show you, you know, what muscles are working. If your hamstrings are working more than your glutes, you know that you probably need to do some supplemental work to yeah. adjust, make sure that the right Part of your body is firing as it should be. It's like, I bet your back hurts. Yeah. My back does hurt. <laughs> Weird how you can tell that just by me wearing a pair of uh, leggings and doing yeah. a squat. So it's super cool. The garment hits the our phone app. The phone app is really, really neat. It's got like a live view of the electrical activity coming out of your body, kind of like this radiating sort of aesthetic to it. And as you increase uh, the effort in a muscle group, it, it you know radiates brighter red. It, it's really neat. Yeah. If you're into this kind of thing, it's, it's, pretty <laughs> it's, cool. it's super cool. And then I think the part that's really interesting talking to you about DevOps and cross team collaboration, which we're going to get to a little bit later on is that you get to see it from the hardware perspective and the software perspective. I don't know about a lot of our listeners, but 
for me, you know, at LogDNA, we are a software company doing DevOps. I'm, you know, doing air quotes for those of you who are just listening. Um, it looks a little bit different when you're just talking to different software teams across the, the application lifecycle than it might look if you're talking to both software and hardware teams. I think you have a really interesting perspective on that. It hits all of it, doesn't it? Yeah. The whole, uh, <laughs> the whole gambit. Definitely. Definitely. And as we get into talking about DevOps, it's interesting because it's such a broad term that encompasses a lot of different things. And I think of those different components as kind of levers and certain ones are more important depending on the problem that you're working on or the the team that you're working on. So I would love to just understand from your perspective, what does DevOps mean to you? It's a big one. How much time do you got? <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> uh, I think uh, we are called upon to be the ultimate organizational stem cells. Uh, we, you know, we may not know what we're, we're doing, but we know that we need to solve a problem. And that's, um, you know, we end up being the ones to, who are unblocking uh, by solving the problem. So going back to the hardware, right? I might not have come up in the hardware space. I certainly did not come up in the hardware space. Yeah. But if hardware has a problem that is preventing them from delivering value, uh, you know, we're here to solve it. And we kind of, I, I think a lot of us are drawn to this professional track because of that. It's it's not really being a superhero, but man, <laughs> if you can, if someone's having a day where they're completely blocked by something and you can come in and fix it, then, uh, you know, you feel good about that, right? Yeah. You, get, you get your people back, back to being productive. So um, you can call yourself a superhero. It's, it's fine with me. <laughs> I'll endorse you on LinkedIn thank, if, if you would you. like. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I will take that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. So for you, it's helping facilitate things across teams to make sure that they can get where they're trying to go, kind of removing roadblocks and um, mm -hmm. making those connections. Is that right? Yeah, and kind of to your lever point, we have essentially we're all in the organization trying to solve the same problem. Uh, in the in the kind of on the engineering side, you know, you've you've historically had maybe an ops team uh, who's responsible for operating uh, an application, and then you have the software team, the, uh, the development team who's responsible for writing the code, uh, and that kind of uh, those two separate tracks uh, would kind of dictate the the lens through which you see the world. So. Mm -hmm. Uh, on the developer side, the developer will say, I have this problem. I will use my code to solve this problem. On the ops side, generally, you would have uh, someone who says, I have this problem. I will use my, you know, my human effort to solve this problem. So I will click the button. I will remove the logs. I'll undertake these manual steps to solve the problem. At the end of the day, we're, you know, both teams are responsible for, um, you know, and, and interested in, in maintaining production stability. So, Again, we're solving that same problem, but the kind of the worldview that we operate from would be governed a little bit by whether we're operations or whether we're development. And then you take DevOps, and now we kind of recognize that there are two worldviews. We can use whatever worldview kind of the situation calls for, you know. Uh, so that is kind of neat. It can be it can be a lot to kind of switch that way. And of course, we always want to. We always want to be able to, to automate everything and have everything be completely good to go, but that just doesn't always work, right? Operations yeah. teams existed for a reason. So 
um, we can we can kind of push and pull on the levers, use a combination of our human skills and our development skills uh, to help unblock the organization. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Talking about kind of skills and, and processes and automation, what do you think have been some of the most impactful tools or processes that you've implemented at Athos that support this kind of DevOps style of work? I think... So it's been, I'm in a leadership role. It's been uh, five or six months. So, um, so far, uh, my efforts in unblocking individuals have been probably the most impactful. Or you come in day one, you don't know anything about the software necessarily. Uh, So (laughs) it's unlikely that you're going to step in and, you know, all of a sudden have this impact on, you know, I don't, 10 years of, you know, 10 years of collective human effort you're just one human, you know, what day one is, you know, not going to be that, that crazy. So uh, being able to identify, you know, teammates who may be blocking themselves or teammates who may need more help or just anything to help uh, the social aspects. I think that's that sort of stuff you can come in and and pick up pretty quick. Uh, So making sure the conversations are happening that need to happen, introducing people if they haven't met, you know, you're dealing with sometimes social circumstances that really, while you, they may not seem like a lot, have an unbelievable impact on how quickly an organization can kind of uh, operate. It's, it's, that's been super fascinating for me to learn uh, that you, you may have people who just you know, block like crazy without even knowing it. And I, I'm 100% guilty of it. I, I've done things like that. Um, you, know, you, you give vague answers or you kind of might deflect something that you should definitely give an answer to. Um, and you, you can see the people who have been around the block long enough to know, like, all right, action items, go list them off before we hang up off this call. When is this going to be done? You know, soon might not be good enough. So, you know, just being able to kind of dial in those things and helping shore up the, the communication um, has been probably my, my biggest uh, contribution. Yeah, that makes sense. Communication is a super important part of the equation. Are there specific tools that you lean on to facilitate DevOps at Athos? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I will preface it by saying the fewer pieces of context a human has to assemble in order to get uh, where he or she is going, the better. So if we could have one tool that we use to communicate change uh, and to manage change in the organization, let's try and get there. I've been in places where it takes six and seven different systems, different user interfaces to kind of get where you're going. Uh, So the the one place uh, that I I would seek to go is to use your source control management system, your GitLabs, your GitHubs, which are kind of uh, hosted Git systems uh, in essence, uh, and have all your change move through the the social constructs introduced by Git. Uh, You have the the notion of a, a PR or a merge request, and that is essentially my petition for change. Uh, I want something to happen, and I care enough not just to complain, but to to take forth, put forth the effort to to create the change and essentially petition the court for approval as to whether or not this uh, this change comes in. Uh, we have one system. We have a, a a way of of talking about the the change, and if we could get everybody to kind of adopt the the Git flow, in essence, um, I think that we would be much more efficient in terms of managing change. You know, we're, we're constantly and passionately searching out sources of events, things that we can tie into, right? If this, then that. When something happens, you know, we want to be able to to change the world, you know? Mm. 
uh, and and so get your your source management um, events. And when you have these these systems, GitLab, GitHub, there's a handful of other ones out there. They kind of give you even more. It's not just code, but also issues and and all sorts of different. Um, uh, data constructs that we can use to discuss the change. And then when we do operate on these uh, objects, we can produce events that will allow your DevOps team to change the world. Um, that's, and then also you can actually transfer that. It's like a unit of state, a unit of history. I can ship this repository to you. You can go forward and backward in time uh, from a, a relative place. And so it's the ability to record history. And if you need to go back and analyze it, you can. Um, and so that's that's why I would say that the one tool, um, you know, for us as an organization that we can really use and really sink our teeth into, if we could all get around Git, you know, if business can come in uh, and use Git, then I think that would be, that'd be the one tool that we could all use. Um, and I think we'd be really effective at it. That's amazing. And just to kind of parrot it back to you, it's like having a single source of truth for people to reference, understand, take action on, um, and kind of see the full picture or have context for what's going on. Yeah, and to, and to participate in like a democratic fashion, yeah. you know, um, you can drive discussion there. And then ultimately when the, the community decides, uh, you know, you, you take action and you can trigger uh, change to any of your systems. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. I can imagine that joining a new company during COVID is super impactful as well. Like most of the company was working in the office prior to COVID and then everybody was forced to go remote overnight. What impact do you think that that has on creating a culture of collaboration and the tools that you have to lean on more heavily, like GitHub and Zoom and Slack, just to get those conversations going? Yeah. Uh, that's that's really interesting. Um, and along with that, how do you regulate how much energy you're putting into things? It's for me personally, it's much more difficult uh, to kind of read the room energy wise because I'm not there. I can't I can't feel it. You know, I'm just looking at the screen. Right. Um, but with regard to being remote, I almost have a visceral reaction about thinking about taking two hours out of my productive day to sit in a freaking car in traffic. <laughs> That's fair. I mean, That's you got <laughs> you gotta get ready to go. You gotta go. You don't know how long it's gonna take you to get there. So like, you know, and we're constantly being asked to schedule and be on time with things. You know, we're constantly asked to es estimate. And now I have these variables for what? I'm gonna take this literal computer that I'm working on right here, put it in a backpack, drive it to another location, open it up and do the same thing I was gonna do. Right. You know. Uh, I don't, I don't know. There is a lot to be said about like, you know, that, that small group that gets together and hacking in the garage. Uh, I, I believe that that is uh, good, but I don't two hours a day per person. And those are some of your best hours. Probably, yeah. Well, at know? least, well, I guess it depends on, on who you're talking to the early morning ones. Those are probably my best hours, but for some others, you're right. It might be those ones at the end of the day that they would have spent commuting home. So Mm -hmm. Totally fair. Totally fair. Uh, I think it's draining. And I think it's, I and mean, maybe it's like the individual trying to regulate him or herself. Cause it's, it's like fake, you know, we don't get the actual energy coming in. We can't pull energy from our teammates, right? right? Someone walks into the room and they're firing on all cylinders. You like, you kind of get the goosebumps and you're like, all right, let's yeah. go. You know, yeah. you have the ability to bring energy into the room and, and, and pump people up. Um, that, 
I don't know that we get that. I think maybe it might be a little bit of a different delivery or we have to go uh, and make a real conscious effort. And I do this. I try to put as much energy and physicality into my interactions with my teammates as I can, because I don't really know what they've been doing. Right. So at work, I see, you know, Charlie sitting down the hall. He looks a little mopey. So maybe he could use a, a hi, how you doing? Uh, but we don't really get that extra context when all, you know, like it's a very regulated sort of controlled environment through which I get to see you. Right. Right. So being able to regulate the energy uh, and inject the energy into your teammates to help get them going. Um, I think that that's changed, uh, but it's, it's so important. Happy people do better work. I'm a firm believer of that. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So knowing that cross-team collaboration is so important and what you just said about identifying blockers, even human blockers, and giving them the tools to unblock, how how do you go about doing that? How do you even identify the blockers in the first place? Does somebody need to talk to you and say, hey, Sean, I'm trying to get this thing done, but Joe is, you know, being a real pain in the ass and I just can't get what I need from him. What is, what does that look like for you? That's, those are the easy ones, you know, <laughs> somebody knows says, it and can, yeah, can call I'm it like, out. Oh, yeah. Good. Let's go find it. And let's, <laughs> you know, let's make sure it doesn't block you anymore. You yeah. know, that's the easy one. The harder one is when you get the, you know, how are you? I'm okay. Or, mm. you know, do you have everything you need? Yes. You know, like, it's like the self-blocking, you know, like maybe I don't want to, maybe I don't want to put up my hand and say I need additional help or, um, you know, whatever it, it's, those are the ones that are hard to see and you can't get them right away. Generally, right. Uh, you need to, you kind of need to see the pattern. And this is where different personality types kind of come into play in your ability to be an effective communicator. You absolutely have to try to meet them where they are. Different people communicate in different ways. And that's what makes us so special. You do have some people who are, I don't know, maybe like thinner skinned, you could say, like yeah. they take a little bit, like, don't just come at me like a bulldog, man. I'm not here for a dog fight. Right. You know, I, 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 I might not like confrontation that much, you know? Right. Uh, so you, you tailor your communications to try and meet them where they are. And that comes to trust. Uh, it takes time to build trust. And so if I, all of these things take time. So you just, you really have to be diligent about making sure that you're where you need to be to get the day that you need to be in order to, to start acting on it. Um, so it, it, it takes time to build the trust. It takes time to observe the patterns and then you just, you stay on it. And that's why it comes back to kind of the, the fundamentals of what you do every day. And every call is to inject the energy to get, you know, get people jazzed up and, and get them talking too. Uh, a lot of the most important things that I've gleaned from my teammates happen when we get to stand up a little bit early and we have time to talk about, you know, whatever life, right? Have these social interactions that help build the bonds of trust so that they feel comfortable coming to me and saying, you know, hey, I need something or hey, you know, uh, I'm blocked or whatever. Um, and uh, they need to feel empowered to do so. I was on a team uh, uh, well prior to Athos where some, one of our junior developers said, hey, is it okay if I give feedback? And I'm like, yeah, it is. Of course it is. Yeah. You know, but, but think about the 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 perspective of that individual who doesn't know if, if he or she has the social permission to participate in the bettering of the of the software right. you know, or the betterment of the, the, the team. You got to let people know that they have uh, the power to participate. You know, not everybody knows that coming in. 
and again, uh, getting older, having been around for a while, it's, it's like, it's even more important for those of us who are, I don't know what middle career or something like that. You know, yeah. it's not my first year professionally, you know, it, it's important for us to, to bring up the next generation, uh, as empowered, uh, and powerful as we can. Absolutely. You just said something that I think is so important when thinking about DevOps, especially for some listeners who are early in their journey to adopting, you know, DevOps styles of work, which is trust has to be the foundation. And I think it's important for a couple of different reasons that you touched on. One is having that foundation of trust in one-on-one and group conversations to say, hey, I can raise my hand, I can contribute, I I know that I can share ideas and throw things out there that I think will help because we're all working towards the same goal, which is super, super important. Um, and And also trust knowing that if something is going on, you can reach out and say, I need help. I don't, I don't even necessarily know what's blocking me, but I'm just doing okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or I'm having a hard time accomplishing this thing that I think is really important. And knowing that they can collaborate with you, with their teammates, with other teams in the organization, and just say, can you help me talk through this or work through this and see, am I even looking at the problem in the right way? Mm-hmm. Or am I so hyper-focused on one area of it that I think is the way to solve it that I'm actually missing this complete other thing that's a huge part of what's going to make this successful. Mm-hmm. And that is important. And it's actually so rare <laughs> to find in companies. I think Athos, I, I know quite a few people who work at Athos. I will say that I've observed that it's a really special culture. And one great proof point of this is just how long people have been there. Mm -hmm. Like there are many teammates who have been there for eight years, which is unheard of in the startup world. But also what you said earlier, like every day is the best day of your life. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah, it is. But that's also, it's not an accident. You know, I mean, you kind of got to, got to take some ownership of it. And you know, some days you realize that you don't have forever on this planet, mm-hmm. you know, so you really want to get the most out of it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's no reason to, to do it any other way, I think. Yeah. But it literally, every day is the best day of my life. <laughs> I love it. I love <laughs> it. So having worked in other companies before where maybe you didn't have the hardware component to the offering, how different do you think it is fostering that collaboration and that problem solving across software and hardware teams together? Uh, I think one thing that may affect it, I, it proximity is going to be kind of the, uh, the linchpin here. So mm-hmm. if hardware has really long cycle times and very infrequent like tooling changes, uh, they may not need you that often, frankly. Yeah. Uh, and that means that we might not have as much time to interact. They might not know exactly what we do. And that presents a problem for us, like a latent problem, in that they may not know to reach out to us. Mm. You know, and, and Athos is not a big company, but there might be people on that team who don't 
who I haven't talked to. Yeah. You know, so that's not their problem. That's my problem. Everybody in the organization needs to know, you know, if <laughs> if you have a problem, you need to call us, right? Yeah. Uh, hit us up on Slack and know that you can do that. You don't need to file a JIRA ticket and not say anything to anybody, right? right? I'm, I'm very much a proponent of starting uh, the automation journey with first solidifying this, the human social interactions that we look to codify and automate, right? I don't want the first thing that you and I talk about to be something impersonal, right? Because mm. we cannot build trust that way. You Absolutely. Know? Um, so I, I think the, the infrequency with which they need us would probably be the biggest problem uh, for, for the DevOps team again, because they just, we, we just, we don't work together that often. So they may not, they may, they may spin their wheels far more than they need to. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, you just mentioned automation, which I think is an interesting thing to get into. It's a big part of DevOps for, for most people, but I think automation is kind of a catch 22. Like on one hand, you need to have that foundation to be able to move fast and on the other hand, it's hard to automate processes when they're constantly evolving and you're mm -hmm. constantly, you know, trying to change and do better and introduce something new. So how do you think about balancing that when you are trying to automate processes? That is a really good, 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 good question, good topic. And uh, I like to think of automations in the workplace as I like to think of automations in my airplanes, all right? Okay. At the end of the day, I still kind of want to pilot up there. You know, <laughs> maybe he or she doesn't have to hit all the buttons they used to have to hit, but something goes wrong, he or she better know how to fly that plane, yeah. you know? So automation, um, every, this is, I say this on opinion too, you don't have to agree with it, but every automation should begin its life as a well-documented manual step, mm. okay? Is it important enough for us to do? again and again and again right okay and then then it, it is important enough for us to automate um you you've got to have a well-defined problem and you have to have somebody knowledgeable enough to to you know grab the steering wheel if there's a problem so uh, starting from a, a perspective of manually operating a system uh and generating very good documentation from that manual effort now we can start to automate and what this does is it's actually critically important to the operations of an organization, it gives us a good data set from which we are training both bots and humans. Mm -hmm. Okay. That is fundamentally important uh, in terms of efficiency. You may have gone to an organization and you see not the best documentation, no documentation, or you have the human process that works one way and the automated process that works a completely different way. So now the people who are responsible for maintaining that knowledge set have to basically maintain two sets of, of documentation, yeah. which again, is, is, is not necessarily a recipe for success. So automate, 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 yes, but what exactly are, are we automating? And if you're only gonna do something once, does it really make sense to automate it? You know, if it's gonna take me a hundred hours to get this automation down, uh, you know, exercise, tested and all of that for a problem that we're never gonna solve again, is that a good use of my time? So I think that we need to be really, um, you know, deliberate and where we really start to automate. Awesome answer. That's a really good way to think about it. I love the, the airplane analogy. That's great. The last thing I think I would like to dive into is just how 
you think about DevOps in a small company versus in a larger organization, like the way that you are able to find blockers and remove them across a a small team or small group of teams is really different than how a company like, you know, Google might have to think about it. So what do you think are the benefits of working with a DevOps mindset for a small company? And what do you think the, the alternative is? The benefits of the mindset are, we could say, a happier, healthier workplace where more people feel empowered to do more uh, and to be more. And that's, you know, at the end of the day, as a business owner, that's kind of what you'd want, right? As a stakeholder, you want organization to be happy and healthy. A good DevOps mindset and a good DevOps approach to work, I think, is somewhat contagious because it is empowering. Uh, we can get better. And maybe I don't have to do this stupid task again and again. Maybe I can figure out a way to do my job better. Now, I will say this, like uh, with regard to human history in the workday, being empowered to do your job, deliver your value without regard to, let's say, an eight-hour workday. Are you going to be rewarded for doing better and delivering more value in a shorter amount of time, or will you be punished with it? Right. Interesting. That is another thing that just it. it, it I understand why it happened. I've been in, in enough uh, companies and enough different industries to know that that was the only way they could really measure, you know, whether or not the person was doing their job. But I don't think that's always the case now, and certainly not in uh, a high tech company. Uh, does it need to be that way? And that, you know, we'll fill the workday, right? If if my test for delivering value is whether or not I can sit in a chair for eight hours a day, regardless of what I can actually get done, think about what that does to your mindset. Right. And think of it, it, it takes your energy from, you know, really, really driving hard to solve a problem. You just, you mellow out. You know, I've got a hundred units of energy uh, to give a day. I can either solve this problem today with this hundred units, or I can uh, kind of peter them out across the whole day and kind of maybe uh, kind of do something. You just turn into a slug. And there's that's just like the natural consequence, I think, of, of having that be the the determining factor as to whether or not you're doing your job, you know? Yeah, I think that's also kind of tied to the startup mindset. Like the tasks that you accomplish are more closely tied to business outcomes. Mm -hmm. And you understand that the thing that you're working on right now has a direct correlation to how the business does Mm -hmm. for the quarter, how many customers you have, how happy they are, what is their churn rate. And I think that can easily get lost in huge organizations unless they're super diligent about it or unless they adopt practices you know, DevOps is a great example of of a way to do this in larger organizations where tasks are tied more to product delivery or business outcomes instead of just saying, you know, you work in this silo, you focus on the specific task, and when it's accomplished, you move on to the next specific task without having context mm-hmm. for it and without feeling proud of the contribution that you made, which is so important to just being happy and fulfilled. And maybe that's why people stay at Athos for eight years. (laughs) I'm really thankful that they did. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, Sean, um, thank you so much for a great conversation. Really, really excited to have you as one of the first guests on the podcast. And I loved just hearing, you know, from your experience why trust and collaboration are so important to creating a good DevOps culture. So appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. On the next episode of DevOps State of Mind, I'll explore what developer relations and advocacy look like in one organization and how it can contribute to a DevOps culture. Joining me for the conversation is senior developer advocate, Joe Carlson from Single Store. I'm Lise Jones. Thanks for listening to this episode of DevOps State of Mind, brought to you by LogDNA. If you'd like to hear more about the DevOps culture, subscribe to the show and then pop over to LogDNA's website at logdna.com to learn how to be more productive in a DevOps world. Links and information about today's episode are in our show notes. DevOps State of Mind was produced and edited by Pamela Lawrence from Studio Pod Media. Thanks for listening.